Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The shark bait has such teeth there, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Bait, and it keeps it out of sight. You know when that shark. So, welcome everybody to this latest episode of Macklin's Take with me, Andy Clark, and Matt Macklin. Hope everybody is well. Apologies that we didn't have an episode last week. A couple of things that we were working on just didn't quite pan out in time. But what we did do is we did a little bit of cross-promotion with the George Groves Boxing Club, hosted by two big pals of ours, George Groves, of course, and Deck Taylor. Um, Always happy to share the love amongst other podcasts on Macklin's Take. We always give a big mention to Tris's pod, uh, Boxing Life Stories, and our guest today was on that, not so not so long ago, and I genuinely really like uh, the George Groves Boxing Club anyway. I listen to it, and I think the way they do it is, I think it's kind of quite similar to the way the way we do it, really, the way they they approach it. So there's definite there's definite similarities there. They're less handsome than us, George and Deck. I don't think anyone would really argue with that, but it's, a, you know, it's an audio format, so that doesn't really... It doesn't. It's not really to the detriment of their of uh, of, of their output. Um, speaking of handsome men, very neat segue. You see what I see what I did there. Today we have on with us somebody who, during his Box Nation days, was crowned no less by Steve Bunce as the Battersea Richard Gear. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's chuckling away because he remembers that. I don't know quite where that you're, came you're from. Not, you're uh, not flying the flag for Battersea. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, there won't be too too many single women going back to Battersea looking for a fellow, will there? If I'm, if I'm Richard Gere of Battersea of SW11. I'm not sure, I'm not sure why he landed on Richard Gere exactly. But once he's a journalist of unimpeachable credentials. So, you know, when he says something, that that you know, that that that's how it is. That's the way it is. It's Steve Liz. Steve, thanks for doing this. Thanks, I can't quite I can't quite believe that um that we haven't managed to get you on uh before but uh yeah no it's great to chat it's great to chat 
and we're doing a deep dive today. And when we do that, we we let our guests choose a fight. And you've gone for one which I didn't see coming, but as soon as it popped into my WhatsApp, I just thought, oh yes, oh yes, there's going to be stories around this because I remember it. We all remember it. If you know, if you're old enough, you'll all remember it listening to this. But I still don't really know how this happened. And when I was researching it yesterday, I didn't really get anywhere with that. I watched the fight, you know, a bit of fallout, stuff like that. But Mike Tyson against Danny Williams, end of July 2004, Louisville, Kentucky. So how did this, how did this happen? Tyson, at that point in his career, I'll just kind of tell people where he was. He was 50 and four, not the Mike of old. We all, we all know that. But the fact is that up until that point, he'd only lost to uh, James Douglas, Evander Holyfield twice, and Lennox Lewis a couple of years before he was pretty brutally cut down by Lennox um, in Memphis. And he'd had one fight since then, a quick win against Clifford Etienne, and then he was back in the ring against Danny Williams. So that's where Iron Mike was. Fill us in on fill us in on Danny Williams, Steve, and on how on just on how this happened. Well, it was part of, uh, I think Mike Tyson was, if reports are beat to believe, he was about 30 or $40 million in debt at the time. Uh, I think, and I haven't checked it, I think the last fight might have been Clifford Etienne, was it, before that? And he had these massive debts, and it was part of a six or seven fight plan where he would clear those debts, um, you know, and towards the end of that, win a world title and maybe be in credit again you know there was the suggestion was that his eight million dollar purse for Danny Williams in Louisville he would see two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of it himself the rest will go to credit as I said it's his grand plan to have Freddie Roach training him and uh clear his debts and make and Mike Tyson would be reborn again as a boxer and uh, I think everyone knows what happened uh, to Mike Aft in the fight and after that. But it was all part of this grand plan. And uh, Danny Williams was, um, okay, well, he was the stooge who was bought in fr- from Britain. He had a good enough record. He'd had some good wins. He'd, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd been in big fights in the UK. Um, and he was the, you know, he'd fought, I think he'd fought for the European title abroad then. You know, he was the ideal man to come in and uh, be the start of this seven-fight run for, for Mike Tyson, which would accumulate in him winning, regaining the world heavyweight title. And, of course, Danny would bring British TV, as what Matt, Matt Matthew there will know, um, always add, you know, adds more, more cash than what m- most foreign TV nations would. Uh, that's basically what he was brought in for. And uh, you went over there for the week, not expecting the, the madness that would go on. Everything from electric storms as, as the fight was going on uh, and going back to the start of the week, Tyson in a bad mood to Tyson showing a load of British journalists, a load of bloody pigeons flying around his bedroom. Uh, it was just a mad, mad week. Um, and then it ended up, well, we'll tell the story of fight night himself. It wasn't just about the upset. An hour before the first bell, the fight was off. Okay, we'll get we'll get to all of that. I mean, I knew this was going to be an absolute gold mine. It was. I mean, what do you remember about this map? Because I just remember the fight being made and thinking, "Wow, I didn't, I didn't see 
that coming. And although, as Steve said, Danny is a very, very decent fighter, just three defeats up until that point. He'd had that epic win against Mark Potter, where his, his shoulder came out, but but he still managed to get the win. British Commonwealth champion, you know, really good fighter, good amateur as well, actually, when you when you look at his when you look at his background. But no one really gave him a prayer against Tyson, even though we knew he was a he was a faded Tyson. Oh no, he was still Mike Tyson, wasn't he? Do you know what I mean? So I suppose he still had that aura. And even though we knew he was shot, really, you know, we'd thought that for for a while. I guess you know we were still getting wins. He was still knocking people out. He still had that power. So uh, yeah, we, I mean, you know, Danny was a good fighter, but we didn't think he was going to go out there and uh, you know spring the upset. Steve, just quickly, what what was the, the TV situation? Because I, I don't remember watching this live. I'm pretty sure it was on Sky. I'm pretty sure it was a Sky fight. I'm not sure it was box office or what. I'm almost certain it was a Sky fight in this country. No, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're yeah, right. I'm I sure just... it was a Sky fight in this country. I mean, I, I was I was a print journalist then, so I remember all the print journalists were out there. I'm sure Sky had a team out there on on for, for that, and it was that they were the broadcasters. I'm, I'm pretty sure they were. So one thing I do remember about this is a story that that Jim McDonald told me um, when I went to the gym to see him, like probably about ten years ago now, because he was training him for the fight, and he told me that in preparation for this, I think they were over in America quite early. I think they'd gone out there quite early, and he had him sparring with with Clifford Etienne, who we mentioned, <laughs> who Tyson had had finished in a round. Uh, and Jim told me that he basically he got a load of cash out of the bank, I think ten grand or something like that. It might even have been more. Put it in a in a in a in a sports bag, um, and told Etienne, right, I want you to try and knock Danny Williams out. I want you to just just tear into him. I've got this bag of cash for you if you can do it. Uh, don't come into the gym and start making small talk and being everybody's friend. Just turn up, spar, try and take his head off, and then go. And if you can do it, then you can leave with this bag of cash because. That's what he wanted him to do to try and kind of recreate the the aura of of uh, uh, of Tyson. Um, I don't know if Jim told you that one, but it's that, it. that, that was his dress rehearsal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was kind of an interesting choice of person to do it with because Tyson had had um, like I say he knocked he knocked Etienne out, and I just don't know how great it would have been for Danny's confidence if he'd say struggled with him in the build up to the fight but that was that was how he chose to how he chose to to go about it so so let's get to the week then steve when did you when did you go how early did you go i went on the um i went on the saturday before the fight uh flew out versus via I forget where i chumped up in chicago i changed that fight and uh Washington DC wasn't it the fight? No, the fight was in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, was it? Oh, was it yeah, Louisville? I remember chart char- the Freedom Hall in Louisville, and I remember well the fir- first day I got there, I want to go absolutely off my nut. I've got to be honest, I can remember <laughs> that I, I like too much. I like drinking too much in them, which I'm not afraid to admit. Um, but anyway, you know, that's what I remember about the first couple of days there. I'll be really <laughs> honest. I got there on the Saturday and had two absolutely almighty days on it, proper. And um, look, I did, and that's it. I don't anymore, as Matt knows. You know, Matt yeah. identifies with me, but uh, that, so that's, is, that, that, sorry. So what, is the, what you remember is you don't remember anything. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I tell you, it don't matter how, how blo- I mean, I weren't too bad fight week, but 
no matter how much how blotted you got, you won't forget this fight week. Uh, on the Monday, Danny Williams and um, uh, they might got there on the Sunday. Danny, Jim, and all their all their team, and then. On the on the on the Monday, he saw the British press as they usually do fight weeks, and there was no clue then of what was about to come down during the fight week. It, it was nuts. There was a, a few rumours about that um, Chris Webb, the promoter, wasn't all that he seemed. Uh, he was a former mouse stripper, if I remember rightly. Well, he was, yeah, uh, and a bit of a. And you know what? And he was hardly seen fight week. He was popping in and out. I think he was probably trying to raise the money. And then on the um, Tuesday, they had um, this open workout at uh, lunchtime um, outside the um, outside the main shopping mall in Louisville, which is just literally about 50 yards from the hotel where, where, everyone, where everyone was uh, camped up. Uh, I don't think Frank Warren got out there. Andy Aileen was out there representing him. And then i never forget, it was me. I was watching it with Buncey, this open workout. and and Buncey had backed me up here. Tyson looked an angry man. You know, he looked like you thought, you just thought, this guy, you just knew he wasn't, there's something really, you know, deranged about him, he looked. And he was smashing the pads with um, in, in this workout, working with Freddie Roach. And it was quite, you know, that was, I know it's a pad session, but it looked like a man who just wanted to do damage. You've been around Tyson a lot, Matt, and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, um, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure Andy's. I'm not, not sure if you covered many of his fights, uh, Andy. You're a bit younger than me, a lot younger. Um, and Matt was around him a lot, and you could tell when the, you know he was in a mood and all that. And he was, he was really, he was fucking angry on these pads. And you just thought, this is someone who, whew, I, I, even that was a pad. You feared he was just going to jump on Danny, or I was, you know, we know. Yeah, yeah, I think that was a fair analogy that he was shot at the time. But you still expect shot greats to beat, you know, fringe contenders. Um, um, and, and then afterwards he spoke and he spoke quite well about, you know, I've trained for this and all that. He'd been in Arizona for eight weeks, but he had to look in his eyes. It, it wasn't good. And then Danny did his workout, bloody, bloody, blah, and everyone spoke. And quite a normal day, but this behavior of Tyson, the way he looked, was quite worrying. And you it was all and I remember talking to Buncey saying this could be another one where he gets disqualified, this guy. This could be him jumping on top of someone trying to punch him in. You know, disqualified. I think he'd been disqualified, but you know, it all it could almost be, you know, like a French boat trying to break his arm. You could see something bad happening, you know, like Hollowfield when he was thrown out. It was it was it was that sort of thing. Um it was something about him. And so you know, everyone went away and wrote their copy about, you know, Tyson and, you know, he, he, his mannerisms at this day and fearing the worst for Danny. And then on the Wednesday, the very next day, um, we got a call, someone of the, whoever was, uh, might have been someone, Andy Alien, whoever was representing Frank out there said, you know, we've been requesting this. Tyson will see the British press in his hotel room at 330 just the UK press, which was, you know, a, a big thing to get. Bearing in mind, you know, the fight was coming up on a Friday night, the fight. So you'd see Tyson on the Wednesday and you'll get a big hit for your papers for, for the Friday morning. So it was it was great to go and see Tyson, even if he were, you know, just to write about what it's like in this room. So I can't think of the hotel he was in. I asked Buncey yesterday uh, when the time I was doing this and 
I just remembered it overlooked the Ohio River, the hotel and the suite he was in. And it was like a lot of Louisville then, you know, new office blocks, but all the hotels were really old. You know, there's old 90s, 30s star hotels you see in Chicago and New York. It was one of those. It was a grand place. And we went in and you went in, we got taken up to this suite and sitting in this corner in almost like a rocking chair was what looked like a little old man. And it was Mike Tyson. And the change in 24 hours from that guy was, it was bewildering, you know. And my suspicion was the people around him, this was, you know, a cash heist for them. And to get him out of hock had been giving him something to bring him down. That's my genuine belief because this was a different animal from 24 hours earlier. Um, In my opinion, you know, I don't know, but that's what I believed. So he, he spoke to us as the British press out there, myself, Kevin Francis, Noel Hickman, um, Jeff Powell, James Lawton, and I think Kevin Garside might have been there. Um, so uh, he spoke for half an hour and he's saying nothing really. He just, he was, he looked, I think he was on some medication to bring him down. You know, later on, he admitted he was on drugs before. I think this was one of the fights where he was on drugs before he claimed. And uh, after about half an hour, he suddenly become illuminated. And uh, he turned around and said, you guys are from, from, from England, aren't you? From Britain. He just suddenly come out with this after about half an hour of pretty much rambling talk. So he said, yeah, he said, and we were, I was a bit slow on the uptake, one or two of the others. He said, oh, he became really illuminated. He sort of almost like he was happy again. And he said, I've got eight birds from Birmingham in my room. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I think Matt knows what's coming here. So he said, come with me. You've got to come with me. So he stands up and he's sweet and he, he's looking happy because he's going to show us. So we go in this room. He goes in first. Noel Hickman goes in. I'm behind Noel, and I can't see the order before. And, and there's these fucking eight pigeons flying around the bedroom, and they, they are flying around the room. There's bird shit everywhere. I'm like, what? So I said to Noel Hickman, the journalist, said, come on. Oh, mate, we need a picture of this. He said, I carry an Instamatic camera everywhere. Bear in mind, we didn't have phones in those days. I said, get it out and just grab a picture of one of these lunatics flying around the bedroom. And he's gone about these pigeons. They're from England, I should explain, because they're called Birmingham Rollers. (laughs) (laughs) That's what the birds are, English pigeons. So they're flying around. So, no, get a picture. So I push him to get a picture. Get that camera. He goes, he might whack me. So just get it. Just get it. It's whispering with spit coming out my just get it, just get it, mate. So I push Noel forward and he can go on the fell on the bed and he's covered in bullshit. So Tyson's just tore out his pigeon. So he's got the bottle to do it. He's gone out, he's grabbed the picture of the pigeon, of the pigeons flying around this instamatic. So Tyson's telling us all about these pigeons and you know they're his best friends and all that sort of thing. You, you know, I mean, God knows what it must have cost to clean this room up afterwards. So we all go. So we've got we got we got these um pictures. So myself, Jeff Powell was a bit, oh no, that's not how you operate like that. Because I don't give a monkey, you know. Um, you know, I'm working for a red, I'm working for the daily sport. So, you know, you know how far you can push it. So <laughs> by this time it's about 
Oh, bearing in mind, we have to have our copy in for the Thursday morning. If you're working in America, you have to have it in on the Thursday morning for the Friday paper. So we can't find anywhere to develop these pictures. Don't forget, it's an instamatic. People listening who are young, who are under 30, won't identify with what I'm saying. You couldn't just go and get an, a, a picture from an instamatic printed. You had to go and wait a day or two. So there was nowhere to do it. So we're looking everywhere. So someone says uh, there was a Walmart, and they said, um, look, we're a small Walmart, but go across the state line to Indiana. There's a massive one there, and they develop all these things overnight for you. <laughs> um, so we went there. So we didn't want to wait overnight. So we gave the guy a few quid to knock it out quick for us, forget his other work, which he did. So this is about 7, 8 o'clock at night then. So where are we going to get these sent overnight to the desk? So we managed to go in an office block. <laughs> we found an office block with some people in it in, in Louisville and give them a few quid to sort of like fax or whatever however you send these things. They had the facilities to send these to all these newspaper desks. And that's how the pictures all over the front back pages, front pages on the Friday morning. It did a lot towards selling the fight. But that's most probably one of the maddest situations I've, I've ever been in that day, you know, with the pigeons. You know, they're literally... I can see it now. The, the bed's there. I'm here. Noel sort of to my left. And the pigeons are all flying around the bedroom. It was, it was, it was insane. And it just summed up the madness of the week, the whole madness of, the, of that week. And then what went down on Saturday night. Um, it, it was just unreal. That, that was just Tyson, what he, what he is himself, really. You know, that, what, that, how, how, how his life was at that time. That you know, he often used to speak in his early days about the pigeons being the only ones that he loved and cared for him. And in this whole hour, hour or so in the room, the only time he got really illuminated and he showed like he, he there was he was human almost was when the pigeons were with him, and they were sleeping with him in that room. Wow, it's 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 that's yeah, that, that's a I, Matt that does as Steve just said just really it kind of personifies the the utter chaos that was around Tyson pretty much his entire life in boxing. But by that stage, maybe it had got to just a, just another level, really. Yeah, well, look, his whole upbringing from juvenile, you know, Borstals or whatever they're called in America at the time, but it was like, I don't know how he met Customato and everything, and how he was a you know, street kid, really. But it, if you think what money and fame does to people. You know, you see the Britney Spears documentary and all, that, and all the people that you see, Michael Jackson, all these people, money and fame at a young age. Uh, you see it with people who are grown men who have five minutes of fame, what it does to them. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. You know, and Mike Tyson is probably from an, un, an unstable, well, probably, definitely from an unstable background anyway to be the baddest man on the planet at 20 years of age, heavyweight champion, all that money, all that fame, all those women, everything. Like, how is anyone going to keep it together? It'd be impossible. And then, you know, so he, the fact that he probably, the pigeons were probably the only people he felt really loved him for him. Probably, I guess, you know, they're the only ones who haven't really got an agenda, <laughs> you know, if he, you know if, if, if he wins or loses or whatever. So, it's, I mean, it, it is bizarre. And you hear Steve going on about it there because you've got this picture of Mike Tyson and, and they would have covered his fights before that. So, you know, maybe maybe less so. But he, even when you've already known him and you know he's a bit of how mad he is and that, 
it's still fight week in going into his hotel room, which I guess was a, a lovely suite. You got literally just flying around the room, pissing and shitting everywhere. <laughs> it must have been absolute bedlam. It was just, it was, it was, it was a, it was stunned. I mean, your first thought at a time. It was only afterwards when you've done it or hit scene. You know, as a journalist, you, you know, you, you know that when you're commentating on fights, Matthew, and you, yourself, Andy, when you're at a big fight, the adrenaline's pumping. The adrenaline was pumping. You're just thinking professionally of the story. What a line this is. What a story this is. Sports editor's not going to believe this. I'll get another trip off the back of this. You know, it's that, <laughs> that sort of madness. That's what goes through your mind. And, um, and that's what was going through my How do we get these pictures developed, knowing how difficult it was? 20, was it 2004? Well, 23 years ago, not 23, yeah, nearly 20 years ago, 19 and a half, yeah. I mean, something we talk about on the pod quite a lot, Steve, is, is kind of levels of fame and how the kind of fame that Eubank and Ben had in the UK off the back of terrestrial TV because cable was was kind of just starting towards the tail end of, of, of that, that rivalry and everything that was around it. The level of fame they got to was something that, it's quite hard for people who weren't around at the time yeah. to understand. And, yes. and Tyson's an amazing example of that because he came through in the eighties and America was a bit ahead of us, obviously. So cable was kind of starting there, but he was still CBS, NBC, national network, free to air famous at a time when the heavyweight champion of the world was, was, was a bigger thing than it is now. I think it's yeah. fair to say. And so his life was just, I mean, there are a handful of people who achieve that kind of that kind of fame, Martin, and he was he was one. So the circus around him, I never experienced it, but you, but you have. The circus around him was probably like like nothing else since, and it yeah. probably won't be rivaled again. I'd imagine. Steve, so just before you, Steve, just before you answer, I'll quickly interrupt as well. Cool, mate. Everything what Andy said there is spot on. But the other part of that about the television is. Back then, whatever was on television ended up on the back pages of the, of the sports That's paper right. or the front yeah. page. It's not just the television at that time. It was that the, your access to any news, everyone read the papers. That's so exactly. Always, you know, that, do you know what I mean? That, that was a big thing too, wasn't it? The, the print media was the be-all and end-all here and in America. You know, now it's, you know, the YouTube, the, you know, the social media generation, that that is the media. Newspapers now don't sell anything like what they did to. They're not, you know... Advertising people have more clout than what a journalist would have. Whereas in the past, if a journalist was told an advert's going on these page, you'd be screaming. You know, papers sold millions. Even papers where I was working for, like the Daily Sport, was selling half a million a day, which is more than most papers do in a day now. But the thing with Tyson was, as I say, HBO. They, 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 although it, we we look at, you know, does it, is it does it stop your exposure being on? Um, cable TV. HBO, even though it was pay-per-view, was seen as a mainstream operation, wasn't it? And Showtime. And also, I think, you know, with Tyson, his career, he was, because of the, the backstory, you know, what he'd come through, there was no, you know, one of the reasons, you know, he must probably so deranged, he never had any direction in his life from a father figure as a young man. You know, you never know how your kids are going to turn out. But if you give them the right direction in life, there's a good chance they turn out well. You know, you can't guarantee. So we never had that. But it was because of his backstory. By the time he got to beating Trevor Burbick, he was almost bigger than the division then. He was the biggest name. He was he was most probably bigger than the heavyweight division before he was a champion because he was such a wrecking machine. 
you know, and then, then came the defences and you talk about them. I, I always think of the night he beat Pinkland Thomas and the night he really wanted to fill in Tyrell Biggs because of the, I think it was the amateur rivalry, wasn't it? There was there, you know, it, it was just colossal. Ty, Tyson was a colossal and, you know, what was heartbreaking for someone who cares about boxing was you'd see different people around Tyson and after three, four fights, they must have been leached their dough and gone. You know, some of these faces that are around him. Do you remember Rory Horn and John Holloway? Guys yeah, they, like they, that. Yeah, yeah. They they were they were notorious, weren't they? And I remember yeah. during the during some court case, they discovered that there was fifty million dollars and no one yeah. knew where it where, where it had gone. And it had gone in pockets, uh, just not just not Tyson's. I mean, his life was it was it's just kind of indescribable reading his, his autobiography, which, which I got through in, in a, in a couple of days when it came out a while ago, I remember getting to the end and one thing struck me, which was that there were no laughs in it. Like it was fascinating, but there wasn't any point where I kind of started laughing at some kind of anecdote or funny thing that had happened. It was all just total and utter yeah. chaos and use and abuse of him by other people and of other people by him. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, I can't even imagine what it's like to live to live your life like that uh, during the week. How did how did Danny kind of cope with with being around him? You know what, D- Danny was Danny. Um, I'm sh- you know I'm sure Matt, you might have fought on Danny Bills. Yeah, I did you did? You know what? I don't know what you know. He was just quite. You know, he is what he is. Danny he don't say a lot. He, you know, he speaks with confidence. He just go, you know. Goes through life. He was very much had that, you know, laid back attitude of almost an old school West Indian. Nothing really phased him. His temperament was excellent. I mean, the story was pure Tyson in the week. And obviously, there was a couple little stories coming about about the promoter being a mouse stripper. Did he have the money he made out? There was a, there was a lot of that. And come like the Friday the weigh in, there was a lot of uh, you know, are people going to get paid in? No one ever thought then the fight was not going to happen, but. There was a lot of suspicion about people getting paid. Um, of you know, I think the Freedom Hall had sold about five thousand tickets. I'm not sure what how the pay per view was going in America. I'm not sure the British TV, whether you know Danny was getting most of the British TV. I don't know how that worked, but there was a lot of suspicion about um, money and how it was being paid and how Danny would get paid by Chris Webb. I don't think he did, did he? he well, I'll come to that. There was some money paid. Um, <laughs> What happened then on, you want me to push to fight night, um, was um, I was sitting there with Buncey and Mark Staniffel from Press Association, and there was a few rumours that the fight was going to be off. You know, is this fight on, off? You know, no one could see anyone from Frank's office. Andy Aiden was in charge of it. Where are they and all that? But, you know, you couldn't get backstage, you know, because back then, you know, you, you go to your press seat, you can only go backstage afterwards to the press rooms and all that and um about hour about three quarters an hour before everyone got wind that is going to go ahead and then i never forget about half hour for the fight the ring was i was to the right hand press seats right hand side near the aisle spencer fearing comes charging up the aisle because he was a big mate of danny's uh shouting I've been with him. You never know he, what he's like. He is going to win this. It is all good. He is going to win. He was really excited. I thought, oh, Jesus Christ. Spencer was really, you know, where, you know, what Spencer, he loves a bit of hype. He's going to win. He's going to win. And then, so that was it. Spencer vanished. And then 
half hour later, there's about there's an electric storm outside, quite accurately considering what was going down all week. Uh, and they made their way to the ring. And um, round one, I mean, I'm looking at Steve Bunce, and we just, we can't believe the punishment that he's taking. It's the Tyson of old, which you still get for, you know, we always... It was for three minutes, for three and a half minutes in that fight, three and a one round and a half in that fight. For three minutes, it was the old, old Tyson. He was almost, I think it was one, but it might have lifted Danny off. And I, I remember I said to Steve at the end of the first round, I said, whatever happens to him in this round, next round, Danny, he's earned his respect for what he took there. It was Tyson of old. Go and have a look at it. Obviously, what we have got to point out, Tyson did injure his knee in that first round. You know, and he was operating on a few days later. You know, they didn't put the blame on that bit. Look, I'm going to say it must have troubled him. But you got to, you, you know, you can't talk about that the fight without pointing that out. Round two, obviously he's injured his knee, but he's still for a, a minute and a half, two minutes. Tyson's just throwing bombs. And I'm thinking, well, how brave is Danny Williams here? He's landing with the uppercuts. And, you know, I mean, Danny's defense was ever the, the greatest, you know. Um, and he took a shelling for five minutes. And then the last minute of that round, he started fighting back. And I remember Steve, you know, you, you two know Steve. He's a really good judge of a fight. And he turned around and said, you know what? I've got a feeling he's turning it around. I said, Steve, it's only been 40 seconds. No, 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 no. I can see something. No, you know, Steve. No, 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 no. You know, he'll tell you this, Steve. <laughs> it's a fair play to the Buncey there. He, he, he loves enough credit without me crediting. But no, he spied it. I, about 40, I said, it's 40 seconds. Ending around, I said, he survived that round and come fighting back. And in the third, he slowly, slowly, you smell something happening. You know, the fourth round, he's down Tyson. The referee does everything. I think you think he took a point off Danny as well for, you know. He took two, I think. Two. I remember one. Was it one in the third, then one in the fourth? What I think they were, I watched it the yesterday. They were both in the third. And oh, well, it was well, kind third, of really yeah. unclear. Yeah, as yeah, to that, I remember the second one happening. there. Well, one of them I can remember clearly. <laughs> I didn't look back at the fight. I remember having a point deducted. And, you know, we're doing everything to help Tyson. And then in the fourth round, oh, near to Danny's just bashing Tyson. You know Danny's going to win then. And you're thinking, is he? could he get disqualified or something, Danny? Could they get a way out for Tyson here? And then it must have been, was it 20 unanswered punches? And Tyson was just in a heap in the corner. And it was just a monumental occasion to be at. It was just, you know, as it wasn't the Tyson of old. It wasn't the biggest fight I've ever been. I've been so lucky. I count myself blessed to have covered all these fights i'm really i've really had a lucky life in boxing and um it wasn't but for sheer theater that fight is one that always sticks in me i always remember you know what's the greatest heavyweight fight hollowfield bow one tenth round standing up in the in the overspill press bit with harry ali harry mullen just standing up cheering them both fantastic moments like that stay with you forever but for sheer theater this whole night and you haven't walked into the venue with a storm still going on because you couldn't get a cab anywhere in, in the birthplace of, you know, where Muhammad Ali lived. We all went to his house on the on the Thursday to see where he was brought up. It, ju- it was just so, it was pure theatre. And then afterwards, you go backstage and you hear there's been more problems with the promoter. No one could be saying, you know, Danny's just elated, he's won. No one's thinking of money then. It was only the next day on the Saturday 
we go to Danny's hotel where it all 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 unfolded. Now, while um, Danny Williams is causing a monumental upset, um, Chris Chris Webb has told Andy Aylin there's no money about an hour before the fight to pay him. So Frank, I think Frank has told Andy Frank Warren, get whatever you can off him, and we'll have to run. I think it might have only been two hundred thousand. I'm not sure if I if I'm wrong, and I think. Danny's purse might have been $200,000 from that side. There might have been some TV money from it. So Chris Webb said, there's no money to pay you. So while the fight's on, every bit of cash they could get, they had. Andy Aylin somehow has made this promoter count it all and pay him. So Andy Aylin has come away from there with $50,000, I think it was what he was paid. And while the fight was going on, Andy never saw the fight. The money was being counted while the fight was going on. The promoter never saw the fight either. And this is all happening while it's been going on. And then after that, um, you know, we went to see Danny the next day. And he, you know what, he was very happy. But most fighters, you know, will be jumping up and down. You know what I mean, Matt, in one of your, you know, if you've gone on, you know, Martinez the next day come to see you, your room would have been bouncing, wouldn't it? You know? It would have been incredible. You know, Danny was just sitting in the hotel suite. All he was bothered about was getting his flight home. Well, worried about the money. Well, yeah, we'll sort that next week now. Want to get home to my wife and my daughters. And uh, that that just sums up what, what Danny was. And then after that, you know what? I, I often think, did that five and a half minute shelling that Danny took from Tyson take so much from him? Because he went and fought Vitaly Klitschko for the world title very soon after. And that was a horrible beating. That was a worse beating than what he took off Tyson for them five minutes. And in return, what he dished out to Tyson in rounds three and four. You you wonder what that took from Danny. And you know what? You look at, if you go back to there, the, to the morning after that fight, the 1st of August, 2004, Mike Tyson's waiting to go in hospital for a leg, oper- for a leg operation or his knee, his knee operation. Danny's on the brink of a fight against Klitschko. And if you look at them now, let's just fast forward to now, and you look at their lives now. Tyson's almost recovered. He's almost there. Is a is a bit of a is almost a parody of what he has to, what he does. You know, but who would thought he'd be on mainstream adverts in America selling Christmas toys, ear bike toys of a Vander Holyfield wearing a pair of Christmas jumpers? He's almost Spoke in a spliff. You know, he's it seems like he he seems like he's a lot better off financially than what he was. And, you know, his life seems, he seems to be in a good place. And I think the spliff's helping him. I think, I think his marijuana business is helping him. And you look at Danny now, it's, it's unbelievable. Since that fight, I was looking at the other rest stats I got. He's 23 wins, 29 losses since that fight. Just to get his girls, he's, I think he, I'm told he's got money in some houses, you know, but Danny was always a very private man. You don't know what's true. To get his daughters through private school, and university, and he even boxed in Albania the other night on Saturday or the Sunday night, I think it was. So here we are. Mike Tyson's almost seems at peace with himself. Danny Williams still going round on a really low grade European circuit on pretty much what what amounts to unlicensed boxing, I guess, most probably for a thousand euros a night plus his exes. It's just boxing. What it does, the most unpredictable of sports. And as I said to you. You know, the next morning after that fight, in 23 years' time, Tyson would have been rebranded and people would like him. 
and Danny Williams would be fighting for a thousand euros to pay for his, his for school fees. You would you would have said you need a frontal lobotomy, and it just shows you know when boxers go in, when fighters go into fights. I don't always agree with them changing managers, promoters, well you know trainers, whatever. But they do what they believe is right for them, and we should never question fighters when they do that. I don't think. And there's an example of why you shouldn't. You know, because it, it's, it's such a hard, hard life, hard, hard game. And, you know, you live and die by your decisions. But, you know, people like us in the press, we shouldn't be laying into fighters when they change managers, promoters, etc. And as an example, why not? Yeah, it's one career and it? it doesn't last. It doesn't last all that long. And those those key decisions, they they come and go. And if you don't get them, if you don't get them right, Matt, then, you know, things can take a turn. and sometimes you don't really recover from it. I mean, the, the two stories of the two men involved, as, as Steve just kind of perfectly encapsulated there, they are amazing, aren't they? Because Tyson's journey, people will be familiar with. But as you say, the fact that Danny is still at it, he's still boxing, he's still going all this time, all this time later is... I mean, people have been calling for him to hang them up. They want yeah. him to hang them up. But at the same time, that is his decision. If he's still fit and able to do it, it is It is yeah. very much his his decision. But but you're right. You know, nobody would have predicted all that time ago that he would still yeah. be he would still be boxing it's, now. It's madness. And Danny's such a private person. He's turned down loads and loads of interviews to, to talk about his life. He won't do it. He won't talk to anybody. You know, few people see him around. Earl, I'm told, in South London. He's still around the Brixton area, I believe. But he won't talk about his life um, in boxing, why he's still doing it, what's going on with him now. So no one knows whether he's still got his money. I hear he's got a couple of hours. No one knows. You know, we're just, you know, there's a lot of speculation. But even after the fight finished, before the Klitschko fight, the row didn't end with Frank Warren and Chris Webb. Uh, I think Frank sued Chris Webb for some money. And in turn... Um, Chris Webb then sued Frank, claiming he owned part of Danny Williams. He, he, he needed he, he, some of the Klitschko money he was entitled to. It was all the whole madness of that fight, and it was still going on in the lead up to the Klitschko fight. I don't know what happened in the end. You have to maybe get Frank on or interview him and ask him. Yeah, but, but must ask him actually. I, I did hear, I did hear, I don't know how true it is, that Frank ended up paying Danny himself out of his own pocket. Yeah, he, he did say to Andy that just forget it. I'll, I'll, I'll stand the rest of his wages, and I think it was one hundred and fifty thousand. I'm guessing dollars because they were paid in it. Well, say whether there was a bit of TV money on top of that. But I think it was Andy got fifty thousand, and I don't know. I'm guessing dollars, and there was one hundred and fifty still outstanding. And Matt, that was that was pretty much it for for Tyson. He had one more after that against Kevin McBride, and that was a defeat as well. And I remember he didn't give an interview after. Sorry, that was that was the one that was in Washington DC. That's Kevin it, McBride, yeah. six rounds. Yeah. yeah, I had a load of mates. Uh, load of, you there? Uh, girl mates that live up in Boston, and they told me they'd all gone down to you know support McBride. They'd all they'd all travelled down to it. It was kind of. It, I remember he he didn't talk to to anybody in the ring after the defeat against Danny Williams, Jim Gray was trying to get him, but Shelley Finkel wasn't, wasn't interested. But I, I think most people remember the interview he gave after that fight against McBride, where he basically just said, didn't he? I can't do this anymore. Yeah. That was in the ring, wasn't it? It was well, in the ring. Yeah. And it was really, it was, it was a bit of a kind of, 
you know, Hollywood film kind of moment where you just got this guy just just standing there saying, you know, it's over, I'm done, I, I've, I'm just boxing for the money, I don't love it anymore, I haven't loved it for a long time. And, and you couldn't help but really feel for him because he's, he's made a lot of mistakes in his life, Mike Tyson, as, as, as has been well documented. He's, he's, no, um, he's no angel. But at the same time, when you see somebody kind of just stripping themselves back like that, and just laying themselves that bare in, in in the ring, it's you know it. I don't know it. It, it hits home, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Tyson wasn't the most stable of people <laughs> to, to 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 put it very mildly. You know what I mean? But he was without any shadow of a doubt, he was massively exploited as well. Yeah, by so many people, vulnerable. You know what? All you think he wanted was love, didn't he? All he wanted was someone to love him. Someone to say, I love you, Mike, and mean it. That's all I think he ever wanted. And I think a lot of people said that, but how many people meant it? You could most somebody put one hand up and take four fingers and one thumb down. It's pigeons. Pigeons, yeah, there you go. The pigeons you know, you know. where you felt at peace with, you know. They, they, you know, pigeons, you, you raise pigeons. You know, I don't know. I know people who raise pigeons. Bobby Rimmer, who you, yeah. you work with, so he, he raises pigeons. I know... They, they let them out their coop, whatever they go out of, and they fly back. So maybe they were the only things that ever kept coming back to him. Maybe that was why. Who knows? But it's it's just mad. I, you know what, what's really struck me also. It wasn't until yesterday when I when I thought more about the fight where I thought of what their lives are now. You know where where they've gone from here. Both of them. It's the it's the one thing you wouldn't have predicted. It's mad because I mean this is probably a conversation for another day because it can go off on a million tangents, yeah. but like. You know, when you think about boxing, I think about boxing, the people I boxed with and and, and around the time and that. And then how many of them, I mean, you, the, the boxing career itself is hard, obviously. You're not just the fighting, the training, the loneliness, the dieting, the pressure, the disappointments, the injuries, all that sort of stuff. Complete emotional roller coaster up and down. But then after it all, how many do you know that are actually really happy? I mean, even the ones that go on and make millions, some, sometimes they're the worst ones. Yeah. You know, more money, more problems. But how many go on and live a happy, balanced life after? You know, I bet you, I bet you the percentages oh, aren't that great. It'd be small. I mean, you know, I look at someone like Lennox Lewis. They seem very content with life. Got out at the right time. You know, you know, you see someone like Carl Froch got out very wealthy. But he still has that talk. I could come back and bash him up. So it's still in their mind, you know. You still, if you're maybe you look, you're a boxer, Matthews. You can identify a lot more than me and tell me if I'm talking nonsense. But you can tell when Frotch comes, I'll come back and smash him. Bellu keeps talking. Oh, I could bash this person up and that. You know, Tony does. You know, and it just shows. Is that shame? Maybe you're not totally. You might be content with your family life, but you're not totally at peace with yourself. That the career well, is over. I think what it is as well is I think obviously it leaves such a massive void, you know, like everything, it's your identity, it's your purpose, it's your way of making money, uh, it's your probably, you know, your friendship groups or certainly people that you're spending your time with as well. And then to suddenly, you know, to lose that structure, to lose that direction, that purpose, that identity, you know, it's at, at a young age because, you know, people... You know, my dad had an accident on the cross rail working 
the bumper truck ran over his foot and he had to, you know, crush, broke his foot in a couple of places, crushed it, all that. And, you know, he's, you know, well, my dad's 67 now, whatever, but he's, you know, you, you can see people of that age that worked all their lives. They had routine, they had their friends at work. They were, you know, work was a big thing. And then suddenly for it to be over, it's like, it's trying to find a hobby or find something that they enjoy after where, you know, that, and he, he's, he's at a stage in his life where he's got kids and grandkids and that, but I'm not about, you know, certainly boxers or, I mean, you could widen this to all sports people, but we're, but we're in boxing. And of course, certain boxers are generally from certain backgrounds and we're generalizing, but generally they're not as stable as some other sports like tennis or golf or whatever. And it's like, now they've got the, the 30 odd, They've got the rest of their lives to live. Who are they now? You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's I think a lot of a lot of boxers struggle. Yeah, you know, it was really interesting. So when you were talking about structure and direction, John Murray, the lightweight, um, you know, he, he, he's bad. He's got a, he does a bit of personal training. You know, he think he's he's on the fringes of boxing still, John. And I follow him on Facebook, and for the first time, he's gone and got. He's had to go and get a job. Uh, I don't know what he's doing. Um, I think he might be driving or something <coughs> since since boxing. Um, always see him. he's always doing his Facebook videos in a car. And he was saying last week how he's had this job for a month, and uh, he said, you know, it's not the greatest money. But he goes, but you know what? The first time since boxing, I've got some structure and direction in my life. I have to be here for seven o'clock. I have to, you know, have my break here. And it's almost as if I goes, I'll find that easy because I've done this for so long over the years. And he was going on about structure in life in his video. And I think that just complements what you've been saying. Yeah, I watched the, I watched the documentary this week about Jeff Hurst, which, which goes into his life, which I didn't really know that much about it. It's well worth a watch if, um, if people fancy it, it's not just about him scoring a hat trick in the world cup final and football wasn't like it is now back then. And he just talked about how when he finished playing, he had to get a job and, and he went and sold insurance for 20 years and yeah. he had to learn the spiel and ring people up and say, this is Jeff Hurst and how people are saying, yeah, of course it fucking is and putting a phone, you know, hanging, hanging up on him. But what that was one of the things he said was that, you know, what else was he going to do at that point? He hadn't made enough money not to be able to do that. But anyway, getting up and going to work and having something to do and focus on and, and that structure to hang everything else off was, was, was absolutely essential because you're never going to find something that you enjoy as much as what you used to do yeah. if you're an elite level athlete it's just I mean it's just not it's just not possible but but like you said Steve Tyson does seem to have found a bit of a bit of peace at least he did that exhibition with with Roy Jones which you know which went which went well I was a bit nervous about that but they'd obviously had a conversation and yeah and, and they stuck to the script because you just I was slightly concerned that, you know, Tyson could at any second, really, the red mist might descend and literally anything could happen. But it does seem to be, it does seem to be different now. Just back to the fight, though. Would you say, I mean, it was a massive upset. He was nine to one, Danny. Um, 42 to one, Buster Douglas was always the all-time greatest upset. But post that, bookies never gave those odds again, I don't think. No. And nine to one in a two-horse race was about as wide as you could get. I mean, it was... It, it, it was epic stuff, regardless of where Mike was in his career. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it, it was monumental at the time. At the time, you've got to realise, you have to go back again. I mean, I know it's only, you know, 19 years ago, 
We didn't have the internet as it is now. You didn't have social media. Imagine that fight now, those images on social media, if we had phones and pigeons shitting all over Tyson's bedroom while he talks about it. Imagine what that would have done, would have done, the business that would have done for the fight. You know, in the social media, that fight would have been so much better. As it goes, it was a Friday night and you wouldn't be able to read, you know, obviously there was, there was TV and radio, but you wouldn't be able to, you know, bear it in mind that, you know, the arguably the biggest stream of news back then was, was the print media. You wouldn't read a report of the fight until the Sunday morning and it was on the Friday night. You know, you, you'd know you, the Saturday morning you'd hear the result, but you couldn't read an in-depth report or see still images of the fight until the Sunday morning in the newspaper. Yeah, I mean, I remember we all we did a we did a we did one of these on um, Tyson Buster Douglas with with Tim May um, from his right. from his local paper, uh, Douglas, and 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 again that that was kind of similar because I was trying to remember how it was broadcast and how it was shown and those images of him when he was down scrabbling around for his for his mouthpiece and and how long yeah. they kind of took to come out you kind of hear that this had happened but you couldn't really see it and you know everybody's desperate to desperate to see it i mean it's uh, times have just changed um yeah so much so it, much it's changed i'm old i'm 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 60 now i'm in boxing terms i'm old but what you got to do, you just got to embrace, you know, whether you think all the YouTube reporters are good, bad, indifferent, there's some brilliant ones out there. There's some ones I, I just shake my head at, but you got to accept that, that, you know, social media, YouTube, that's the way, that's the, that is what journalism is now for, for many sports. And boxing a bit reminds me of um, what MMA was, the UFC was um, 10 years ago when it was an underground sport, that was the first of the big internet sports. Is boxing going that way apart from a, a sprinkling of fighters? I mean, if you look now, we're all in boxing. We'll get all, all excited for Javonta Davis, Ryan Garcia. But you go and ask man in the street, they wouldn't have a clue those two are. No, that's true. And I, I do think that generally everything is more fragmented now. Um, and there are everything exists in its own individual bubble more yeah. now than it did before. Which means that sports like boxing won't necessarily get that mainstream recognition outside of those big fights, but it doesn't mean that it can't still survive perfectly healthily and, and thrive. Because the thing with the internet is that whatever your thing is, you can find it now, and it's got that audience. It might not be as big as it used to be, but it's still got that regular kind of audience. I mean, you look at the numbers, as you said, that the the, the YouTubers do KSI and and the Pauls and all those guys. Um, still in real terms, very few people know who they are, but their, their slice of the, the pie is now massive, basically, is, is, is what I'm trying to say, due to the internet and, and the digital platform. And you only need a kind of really small slice of it to be able to do. Or, 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 or more likely, Andy, people just go make their own pie. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, there, there isn't just one pie now on terrestrial television. There's a, there's a million pies. That's you know it. That's mean? exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, okay. Well, just before I let the pair of you go, um, this is a debate that rumbles on, and uh, comparing people across the areas and stuff like that, it's always difficult. I'm, I'm not really sort of that into it myself, but but I kind of am with Tyson because he is the subject of a lot of revisionism I find in the same way that other fighters are. 
And people like to look at him and say, well, he was never that good. You know, he didn't have the dance partners. He didn't have the opposition. He ran through them all. And well done to him for that. But at the first time of any adversity, you know, he didn't know what to do. He couldn't get off the floor and win a fight, blah, blah, blah. For me, the Tyson of, you know, late 1986 to probably peaked in mid-1988 against Spinks. That Tyson, after that, you would say he started boxing less and, and things maybe hit a bit of a downward a downward curve. That Tyson, and he was always going to burn bright and fade relatively quickly, not just because of how he was outside the ring, but because as an athlete, he was so explosive, that can't last that long. But for that two-year period... I mean, I would put him up there with anyone. Yeah, in in heavyweight heavyweight history. What 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 do you think, Steve? Big fan. And then you mentioned the fight. Then the Spinks fight. That was a hell of a fight. A hell of a win. Still, I know Spinks was moving up, but I still that's the fight I think of a lot. I think of the way he, he and I he was past it. The way he did Pinkland Thomas, the Tyrrell Biggs, the way he, he he did him, the damage he was causing the fighters. You you have, you have to put him up there for longevity. No, but for for the impact, has any fighter made such an impact in a short, short space of time like him? Yeah, I mean that that's it. That's it. What well, I mean, what, what's your what's your take on it, Matt? Because I mean, he when he was boxing a lot it, around that time where he was running through the titles and picked up the linear title and everything you could possibly win. When he was just in the gym all the time, and all right, it didn't last that long. But for that peak, I mean, he was unbelievable. No, look, hype. Hype is hype, but it comes from somewhere. Do you know what I mean? He was knocking out good fighters, like say Pinkland Thomas. You know, all right, these aren't people that you talk of in the same breath as Joe Frazier or George Foreman or Muhammad Ali, but they were good fighters at the time. You know, he, you know, Larry Holmes, look what he did to Larry Holmes. I yeah. don't know Larry Holmes was past his best, but he still had lots of good wins after that. You know what I mean? He 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 he, he was a wrecking machine. I always think that Club of Lang must have been based on Mike Tyson. <laughs> He's a wrecking machine, Rock. He'll kill you today. I, I tell you, what, <laughs> you just think of Tyson. I'm just sitting here thinking fights. You when you said you know the fights have never happened. Here's one that maybe is a, they both fought. You know they were both still at it. If Tyson had the longevity. And he hadn't had 15 rounds with a fridge every time he walked in the kitchen. Tyson and Riddick Bow, imagine that. Oh. Oh. The oh, they, yeah. they didn't even have to leave their neighbourhood. Imagine <laughs> that. What, if they were both bang on it, you know, oh, oh, what a fight that would have been. Yeah, I mean, imagine, yeah, like, like Matt says, imagine that. You know, in New York, you know, if oh. they put that in Bed Stuy somewhere, Bedford Stuyvesant. Oh, mate, just you know, go and put it at a baseball stadium there, yeah. wherever you, wherever one. Imagine you. the people around that. Imagine the crowd around ringside and around that, following that circus around. It would have been, yeah, that would have been absolutely. That would have been absolutely say, imagine the fight. Imagine the strokes being pulled trying yeah, to get exactly. it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Rock Newman on one side and Rory Horn and John Holloway on the other side. <laughs> Oh dear. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll wind it up there. Steve, thanks for doing this. It's been it's been yeah, great fun. I you hope picked, you enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We did. We, we you picked a really really good fight. We'll do this again definitely. Um, when we catch you when we catch you down the road. Um, I'll just you know big shout out to Steve's podcast. He does bell to bell with with John Evans, um, for VIP boxing. I've been on it a couple of times and it's good fun. It's good fun. It's got really good format basically where you have to pick out things. Do they getting on your tits? That that's pretty much that's pretty much how it works, isn't it? And then you have a round basically explaining why this thing is is angering you or why you've had enough of it. Um it's it's pretty it's pretty honest. It's quite it's pretty punchy, actually, as pods go, Steve. It's like not many people 
Um, I think you and John are willing to stick your heads above the parapet a bit more than most. Yeah, I don't know about that, but yeah, I try to. I try to. I try to. But no, nah, look, you know, it's. I just enjoy doing it. You know, now I'm like, I just, in, I'm just enjoying a bit of what I'm doing still in boxing. As I said earlier, I've been so lucky to have had since 1989 going around, you know, covering these fights, 30 odd years. Oh, mate, I'm so lucky. Might not be get doing the trips I used to. Absolutely lucky. People I've met, people I've been around and had some times with Matt there. And I know I get something, always something that stays me. And a saying I use a lot is something you said to me. It was you. And I always use you said it. You said this to me years ago, Matt. When, when, the, when God created the world, he put all the lunatics in boxing. <laughs> you were the first you said that to me many years ago and it's one of those sayings i use so often when something a bit cranky is going down no no that's i'm glad, that's... To, I'm glad to say i fitted in swimmingly <laughs> <laughs> uh okay well we'll wind it up there we'll wind it up there thank, thank you thanks for having me fellas yeah no problem steve Please loved Dave. it absolutely loved it and th- thanks for tuning in everybody I haven't said this for ages, but if you can give us a review, write a review and rate the podcast, um, that helps people find it because we were away for a long time. Um, and we're not numbers obsessed, but, um, you know, I do look at them. I can't lie. You know, I'm competitive. So I do look at them every now and again. So if you could jump on and, and give us a rate and a review, that would be great. We will be back uh, soon. Uh, we're recording another one. It's Friday today. We're recording another one this week with Richard Farn and, and Pucci, uh, Lewis Van Poch, because there's been some interesting things going on in away corners over the last few weeks. There's been quite a lot of away corner wins. And I just feel like I've detected a bit of a, a shift in attitude with some of the with some of the road warriors where they're not quite so keen to cover up and get through. They're, they're keener to let their hands go now. I think they look at some of the opposition and think, mm, yeah, I don't think I can be losing to you. I don't think this is quite right. Um, you know, let's let's see what happens. So and I've been really enjoying that, actually. So we'll have a chat with those two because Pucci's had a good few wins himself recently. And I don't think he's planning to keep going that no, much longer. Not, no. And no. it'd just be great to see him get a couple more and maybe get an area title fight or something like that. But anyway, we'll hear from the man himself before too long. Um, and in the meantime, everybody, take it easy. Yes, that line falls on the right page. Podcast Network.